Welcome to Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Just to let you know, you can find this podcast on its host site, mormondiscussionpodcast.org. If you're a premium subscriber, that's the only place you can access the premium episodes. You have to sign in with your username and password and then click premium episodes. You can also find the podcast on iTunes as well as Stitcher. And please leave a review at those sites if you listen there. The higher the review, the further up the list the podcast moves in being accessible to other people who have not heard of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Also, support the podcast by becoming a premium subscriber today or visiting the bookstore to purchase books that will help you in your faith transition. Thank you. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I'm your host, Bill Real. Today, I'm sitting down with uh, two friends of mine, Suzette Smith and uh, Chris Bloxham. We've been talking the last uh, few days, visiting together, talking about women's ordination, uh, priesthood power, and various topics relating to kind of that overall subject. And we thought today it'd be fun to take the things that we've talked about over the last couple of days and kind of connect them with you, the audience, and give you a chance to kind of get a feel for for the issues that we've discussed, the approaches that we've taken, and some of the back and forth that we've had. I'd like to start off by introducing the two guests of the podcast, uh, Suzette Smith and Chris Bloxham, and I will give uh, Chris a moment first uh, to introduce himself and give us kind of a brief bio. Well, I'm Chris Bloxham. I live in St. George. I'm friends with Bill and Suzette. I'm a collector of church history, uh, rare LDS books, and uh, passionate about our our church, our gospel, and and uh, all of the fun and nuanced and complex things that make it so interesting. Awesome, Chris. Suzette, please uh, share for a moment just a little bit about yourself. I'm Suzette, and I live in the Washington, D.C. area, and professionally, I am a professional organizer. As far as my church and my life in the church uh, goes, I grew up in a traditional family in Idaho. I've always been active in the church. I went to BYU. I served a mission. I've had many, many callings, currently serving in the primary as a sharing time leader. I am involved in Mormon feminism and have been for quite some time. So I, I think I'm well known for my work there. I'm a blogger on the Exponent blog. I'm also on the Exponent board of directors and I've done a lot of my work there. Previously, I was on the board of Ordained Women and have supported ordination and done a lot of work with Ordained Women. Uh, they are... They have a different board, a new board now, but I continue to support ordination. That's sort of me. Awesome. We're, we're taking this moment to, to kind of talk about perhaps what ordination would look like within Mormonism and, and what the possibilities are out there for it and the things that, uh, that certainly pertain to this topic that give us a chance to kind of explore the depths of Mormonism. Uh, Suzette, maybe start us off helping us to, to better understand what what some sisters in the church perceive and what some, frankly, what some men in the church perceive as inequalities between men and women currently in uh, in our faith. What's the difference between differences and inequalities? Certainly, Mormons believe that men and women are equal in the sight of God. I also believe that Mormons value women, uh, value the contributions of women. And I know that many women have done and experienced many opportunities within the church. They've had great opportunities. They've grown from those opportunities. However, while men and women are different, I don't see that the church plays out the equality that that men and women have. So here are some examples. Men and women are never at the table when 
major decisions are made in church governance, whether it's in a bishopric meeting or all the way up through the general authorities. They have women in councils. They have women giving their opinions. They have women giving counsel, but they are not the final decision makers ever. And I think that that, that shows a lack of equality in governance. Women don't also have a space, a female space. There is no female space for women in the church that's completely their own. Well, what are you talking about, Suzanne? It's called the Relief Society. The Relief Society is an amazing organization, and it is presided over by a bishop or a stake president or a prophet. It's always presided over and often attended and often instructed by men. So there's not a space that's only female where females choose their own leaders, explore their own spiritual gifts. Hmm. I also believe that women have limited visibility in scripture stories that we tell, in church history stories that we tell, time they spend speaking from the pulpit. We just don't see women as much. We don't (coughs) see what their talents are. We don't see them. We don't hear them speaking. And I think that that creates a gender gap. So, so Suzette, you talk about visibility, and one of the things I thought of as we've been talking about this the last few days is this idea that at the top level, the church is somewhat, the dynamic has changed a little bit. We now show the sisters in the center page of the conference edition of the Enzyme, for instance. We, we now have the sisters that are in the general leadership sitting visibly with the brethren during general conference. But it seems like that's not uh, filtering down to the the local level, whether it be the stake or the ward. And part of that, I think, is because the brethren haven't officially given permission for them to do that. But I would assume that your thought, at least my thought would be, and I'm assuming your thought would be as well, that just by the fact of them doing that change at the general level gives permission for the stake and local level to entertain having sisters who who are in leadership positions within wards or stakes now sit with the priesthood leaders at especially meetings like state conference or ward conference. Yeah, I am really excited about some of the changes we've seen on a general level. I am thrilled to see that women are walking in and out of general conference with their male counterparts, that women are very visible in general conference. And I applaud the church for making simple changes that are easy and saying, showing that women are as valuable as they say they are. And the local level, I think some places are, are doing better than others. I know my stake is a, is is a great example out in the Washington, D.C. area. They always call women uh, auxiliary leaders by president, by the, na- by the name of president. You see them sitting on the stand often. And I think it, it's very good for both men and women and girls and boys to see female leaders on the stand. And, and the girls can say, oh, I can see myself there. And the boys can say, you know, here, women can be a spiritual leader, a spiritual influence, as much as men. We need our men, absolutely. This is not in any way to displace men, but to say that when we lead together, when we are seen together, I think it creates a stronger, more bonded whole. So let's follow that up with this idea. So we talk about this difference between inequality and differences. And I often think that in, in LDS culture, Mormons tend to kind of blur this line and and when some people in the church seem to be realizing that there is an inequality, Latter-day Saints are very quick at times to jump in and just say, no, they're, you know, we're made differently. Yes, we're, we're equal, but we're each made differently. And I think you pointed out here some ideas of inequality that actually exist. And, and I don't think it's one of these things that we can just brush aside and not give serious uh, weight to as we consider. 
so the next question it kind of leads into is why should we even care about inequality? I think inequality in some ways exists throughout the world. Why should we focus in the church at trying to, to either correct this or at least talk about what things could be done to kind of fix it? We are all the body of Christ and uh, Nyland McBain has been a great inspiration to me when it comes to this particular point. And she makes a point in her book, Women in the Church, even if you're a woman that doesn't feel unequal and feels like they, they love the way the church is and it's given them opportunities, there are women who don't feel that. There are women who are struggling and hurting. And because we are the body of Christ, we care about them because they are part of us. So this discussion, I think, is important for everyone. Even if, you, if maybe this conversation is not resonating with you, there are people out there who are feeling that distance from the church, that pain from the church. And because of them, you care because they are part of you. They're part of the body of Christ. And by discussing this, you embrace them and you bring them in and you can have a conversation that makes us a whole. It's interesting. You bring up Nyland's book. Um, I was at Deseret Book today. And um, when you talk about inequality... Nyland's book can be found at Deseret Book, but on the bottom shelf, in the shadow, on behind a, behind a, a uh, some other book that was blocking it, doesn't quite get equal space. And you look at, I mean, you were, we were talking about that today, that in Deseret Book, I mean, if you were to ask the people who work there, would you mind showing me the women's section of, of books written by sisters on, on various topics within the gospel? And they certainly exist, but the section is really small, and, and yet, to find some other topic that's outside of women's issues, um, you could probably find a whole aisle that just focuses on them. So, Suzette, the the next thing, that, and I think this is a big one, I think this is one that we we spent a lot of time talking about the other night, is, is this idea of whether it's the same priesthood or a separate priesthood, and, and maybe I'll just give kind of a preface to this and you can kind of expound. For those who want to entertain the discussion of female ordination, there's kind of two routes that the church could take or that in discussing it, the ideas can kind of go down one path or the other. One is to have the same priesthood as, as the brethren have. And again, we're, we're talking, um, we're talking directly about ideas and we realize obviously that that these things in some sense are left up to revelation from our Father in Heaven. It's not like we're demanding this is what the church has to do. But rather, we just simply want to talk about ideas and the possibilities. And I think often when we look at scriptures and Mormonism, there's so much room to talk about the possibilities. So there's this idea of the same priesthood. Maybe, maybe women's ordination, if it's even possible, looks like the priesthood that we have that, that men have today in the church. The other option is that it, it is a completely different idea that somehow we, we have something just, you know, yes, it's power. Yes, it's connected to the divine, but it is a very different looking animal from, from male priesthood. So I wonder, Suzette, if you can kind of expound on that and, and what you see as those two paths and perhaps even share with us what you, which one you find the most value in. In, in the Mormon feminist world, this is, I think this is hotly debated and there are lots of different points of view about how this is. There are some people who are strong egalitarians, and they believe that the only way to truly create parity, create equality, is to extend male priesthood as we know it now to women and plug them into the system. And that is, that's the only way we can be equal, because separate, as we've learned throughout history, is not often equal. There are and I've thought about this and prayed about this. I've actually been inspired by uh, many talks with Maxine Hanks, uh, with the Women of Exponent, and many other feminist friends that I have. So this 
these ideas are kind of a compilation of a lot of those conversations. Even women in my ward, you know who you are. But Suzanne, what's wrong with differences? I don't understand. What what uh, what's wrong with different roles? Different. Um, we don't all have to be the same. Right. But there are there is a school of thought that says if you are separated, then and you're different, then you're not truly equal. There's another way we could look at this. This is sort of how I've sort of come to as I've prayed and thought about it, and that is that ordination to priesthood could come through the feminine divine, and that there could be a separate quorum that could be established amongst the women of the Relief Society, so that men and women continue to function in, in councils, they continue to work together, but that power is given... <clears throat> Specific power is given to women within the Relief Society. Perhaps, again, like you say, Bill, this is, these are ideas we're putting on the table and saying, what could this look like? What might this look like? And I do believe that it's left up to revelation. Um, and that many women are going to have to come to the table and think about this and discuss this and pray over it. But I, what resonates best with me is um, separate priesthood quorums for men and women. Let's go back to Daughters of My Kingdom. Chapter 2, this is when they start talking about the Female Relief Society in Nauvoo. And Joseph Smith's quote that we all know very well is, I now turn the key to you in the name of God, and this society shall rejoice, and knowledge and intelligence shall flow down from this time. What I think is that Joseph Smith wants the women of the church to allow knowledge and intelligence to flow down from heaven and teach them what they need to do. What do women need to do to utilize their spiritual gifts, to claim their spiritual power, and perhaps even create their own quorum and their own way of ordaining. Again, this is an idea that resonates with me that I like, to have these two separate quorums. There are many other women that feel like we have to do it, you know, we have to be the same. If we're not the same, if we're separate, that's not equal, and we're continuing to trip over ourselves. But I like the idea of having masculine and feminine power, masculine and feminine, divine. And, and I'll say, Suzette, as I've thought about this, this part of what we're discussing, two things come to mind. One is that, as you point out that quote, which is from a LDS-approved source. So, so first off, for anybody who wants to say, you know, the, the quote is you know, something that we should uh, you know, ignore or set aside, it's obvious the church wants to emphasize this quote. And the quote says that Joseph Smith turns the key to the sisters. This idea of sisters having some sort of priesthood key. And in that key, the blessing of it is that this knowledge shall come down from heaven, that there will be revelation, that there will be, there will be more light, more information that comes, and that the sisters have the key to receive this seems absolutely beautiful to me. The other thing I was thinking about is you're talking about this same priesthood and, and then a separate priesthood. When I think of this idea of a separate priesthood, that we explore Heavenly Mother, we, we see what maybe we can kind of flirt with the edges of who she is, uh, get maybe more aware of, of what's going uh, on in Scripture in relationship to her, I see two things. One, it seems easier for the church. If they were, if they were to go down this path, it seems like it would be an easier path to go down than, than to try and make the sisters have the same priesthood as the brethren. It just seems like it would be an easier... Uh, development within Mormonism. I also think, too, that from the sister's standpoint, that direction seems to have a lot more potential. That while male priesthood has been lined out and defined, that opening a door for what women's ordination looks like 
anything would be on the table, and, and hence for the sisters, the potential would be limitless. Well, yeah. do you guys think that the knowledge and intelligence that Joseph was talking about is only available if women are ordained? No. I think women can have knowledge and intelligence, but I believe that ordination is a saving ordinance, and I believe that women need all the saving ordinances the same as men do, and I believe that ordination legitimizes the spiritual gifts that they're going to be using. And that's intriguing, right? We talk about in the temple, uh, and I'll be careful here, in the temple we talk about promises of priests and priestesses, that there is some level of, of kind of like this royal ordination um, and, and as you point out, Suzette, in the temple, we take the men, and part of the ordinances of the temple, these saving ordinances, is to ordain men to at least the office of an elder. And so it does seem appropriate that at least for men currently in the gospel, we've said that becoming a Melchizedek priesthood holder is, is necessary for entry into the highest kingdom uh, in our Father, uh, in heaven's, um, in his glory. And so it would seem that at least the door is kind of open. Chris points out, this idea that do women, you know, is this key necessarily ordination? Is it just further light and knowledge without ordination? And it made me think a little bit of Moroni where investigators to the church are promised that they can have experiences with the Holy Ghost, but it's only by becoming a member of the church that one can have its constant companionship. And I, I look at this, this Relief Society quote from Joseph where he turns the key to them. Yes, they can receive further light knowledge to enact this understanding of what ordination looks like perhaps, but it's only that maybe there's only this on the other side of this ordination are, are great truths and information ready to come forth. Um, your thoughts, I guess, on those who take the the same priesthood view? Uh, any thoughts there as far as maybe real distinct differences or value in each of them? Sure, I see value in in both sides, and it'll be up to the Lord ultimately. And um I think the value in having one same priesthood is it keeps the structure very easy. We can have the same structure, and we just plug women into that same structure. But I think, for me anyway, as a woman, the more beautiful way, like you say, would be we we get to decide. We get to open this up. Um, we get to be inspired by God to know what this looks like in the feminine realm. And perhaps it looks different. Perhaps we do things differently. Certainly it will incorporate motherhood. Uh, I think motherhood is extremely valuable. It's so important to bring uh, a spirit into the world and give it a body. And mothers do that. And I think motherhood is and is going to be part of what we continue to understand about female priesthood, about female power. I think that's great. And, and maybe, too, some listeners might be bothered by the idea of saying female priesthood. But I think we all ought to take a step back and recognize that, for instance, in the talk that Elder Oaks gave a couple of years ago, where he talks about power and authority, he talks about women operating under power. And he says, what other power could that be if not priesthood power? And so I think it's absolutely fair for Suzette and for other sisters in the church and other and again, men for the church that are discussing this issue as well, to recognize that any power that we have that comes from God is what other power could it be than priesthood power. And so I think it's absolutely fair that Suzette or anybody else uses the word priesthood. How how could we ever make somebody feel bad for using the word priesthood when priesthood is the power of God and all of us, members of the church and non-members to be frank, have access to God's power in various ways? 
And as Elder Oaks would say, what other power could it be than priesthood? Um, so- was, I'm not sure I would totally go that far with you. It just say that all power, I mean, all access to God is priesthood power. I think priesthood power is specific. Uh, and I do think that men and women in the church do operate with priesthood power. We are we are endowed with priesthood power in the temple. We are conferred with priesthood power when we are set apart in a calling. But what I believe the the ordained women um, women specifically gave us was that ordination itself is really key. Absolutely, we are currently working with priesthood power in this church. But ordination is something separate. It's something different. It's not just something that everybody has. And I think that that is something specific. Right. So that brethren in the church have priesthood. Elder Oak says sisters in the church have priesthood. And and again, I could be different than you two, but I would also argue that even non-members who are praying, uh, a Muslim who prays to God and gets get spiritual power from those prayers or some child is, you know, Chris, you were talking about this story here and I want you to maybe jump in here and, and share it. But if someone's praying for their kid, that if there's power in that prayer, what other power could it be than priesthood? But I do think, Suzette, you make an important point, which is that priesthood and ordination, uh, while ordinations occur giving greater responsibility in the priesthood, they are not in and of themselves the same thing. I assume we're at, you know, we didn't really define it, but I assume we're working with the definition of priesthood being... Uh, the power of God. We all in agreement on that, or yep. right. the power okay. of God. And so the the scenario that we were talking about was what is more powerful: uh, a prayer from a Catholic mother over her sick child in some third world country, or calling on the elders to come and and bless that same child with the priesthood that they have. What do you think? They I think wanna- they're they're both very powerful. There, I don't think there's anything more powerful than a mother who loves a child and calls down and brings down the power of heaven to save, to help, to aid a child under her care. But is that priesthood or is that faith? I think it's both. But and I, I'm not sure that I could parcel them out. Yeah. But the power of God is priesthood power. It's hard for me to parcel that out between faith and priesthood. Faith seems like something... We do on our end that essentially opens the window to God's power then coming through and doing something. And so to say that this woman's, you know, faith, I don't think in and of itself heals anyone. I think it's through God's power because of someone having faith that someone's healed. I don't think anybody would come around and say, yeah, you know, I know we use the phrase, right, by, you know, because of your faith, you, you know, you've been made whole, for instance. But it's still God's power in that interaction. And so I do think we, some on some level, have to kind of parse these out and say that faith is something we are adding to the recipe, but when the recipe's all mixed together, it's God's power that causes miracles to come to pass. So are you saying that when that child is healed by that mother's prayer, it's by the power of the priesthood? I'm saying it's by the power of God, and what is the power of God? What other power could it be hmm. than the priesthood? Do you agree with that, Suzette? I don't know about that, Chris. Well, what I do know is that uh, women have long had the power to bless and to heal. In the early church, it's documented. I wish my friend Farah was here to talk more about it. But women were called as healers by the prophet, by other men in authority. They were called as healers. They consecrated their own oil. They blessed 
their families and other people in the community all the time, and they literally healed them from spiritual and physical ailments. And I think that part of our history in the church is really wonderful and amazing. And I don't see any reason why now women can't be blessing other people and healing by the power of God, I by think the it's power pretty, of faith. I think it's pretty common knowledge that women in the early church blessed their children. But you're saying that women in the church blessed other other men and women? Yes, they blessed men, women, and children. and Other than their own family members? Yes. Hmm. And Bill, I'll have to get you the reference for that sure. to put in. And, and I've shared this on the podcast before. I hope I think the average LDS member, this would catch them by surprise. I know in, in Sunday school once I raised my hand and said this, and the high council speaker who was giving a lesson that day, just jaw just dropped, his eyes got really big. And he just thought, like, what did Bill just, you know, throw into the room that, that caught me off guard? And after the meeting was over, I went up and explained this to him. And, and when the meeting was over, I sent him a bunch of sources that show that this, this actually did occur within LDS history. I think the listeners of this podcast know this. But, yes, blessings were given by the sisters of the church. And we ought to recognize, too, that even in the temple, right, Suzette? I mean, sisters are performing ordinances, priesthood ordinances yes. in the temple. And, and Elder Oaks even says that this is an exception uh, to the standard use of the priesthood today in the church. But you and I both know that once you create an exception to the rule, there's always more room for other exceptions. Okay. So I would love further light knowledge on this particular piece. Women perform priesthood ordinances in the temple. So what? why aren't we performing priesthood ordinances in, in this expanded version, in the church. And again, I would love further enlightened knowledge on this particular part about actually performing those ordinances and giving blessings and healing people. So we're going to go back to where you said, I don't really know. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to, I'm going to push a little <laughs> bit. So sisters early in the church were giving blessings of healing, laying hands on somebody and blessing and using them to oil. be healed. Yes, and, and blessing and to be healed. And, and, they were, and this was consecrated oil. Consecrated oil. Yeah. Who consecrated it? They did. They did. And they laid hands on someone's head and blessed them to be healed and performed healings. What power are they using? And what power are they using? I mean, I, I know that you want to say they're the using, power of God. They're using priesthood power. But I do want to be clear that there is nothing that we can find that says that women were specifically ordained as into offices of the priesthood. But I believe they were using priesthood power in their callings to heal, in their callings to bless. These were callings. And Elder Oaks even says, now, when you have a calling and you're set apart, you're given priesthood power. And I, and I hear that. But I think for the listener, it's important to make the connection that up until that Elder Oaks talk and us kind of thinking through this, we kind of recognize in the church that ordination was necessary to perform blessings in the church, to perform ordinances. And Elder Oaks was clear that at least in one case, and, and I think you and I could argue that there's more than one case of this, that ordinances were performed in the church without ordination. Does that make sense? I mean, we have sisters who in the temple are not ordained to offices in the priesthood. Right. But they're performing ordinances. Right. We have sisters early in church history who are performing ordinances without specific but priesthood But they're not performing ordinances that I know of, aside from the temple ordinance. And the healing blessings early in church history. Is a healing blessing an ordinance? Um, I don't think I would it say, is. I would say no. I would, I would say, say no. it's a blessing. 
So you don't think that that is, even though in some terms specific words are used, we have a specific mode of doing things. The only thing that I have found that's akin to an ordinance when it comes to women performing it in the early church is the ordination of a woman about to live, to deliver a child. They would ordain, they would uh, bless her body with oil. There was a scripted prayer that talked about her ability to be calm to be free from fear that her body would respond that would give way to this child that the child would be healthy and that was done often in a bathtub and the women would come to that woman and they would bless her and anoint her and that's the closest thing i've ever known to actual ordinance that was done in the early church and it was a scripted prayer well let me say it this then i think you actually open up maybe a door to kind of a greater understanding so let me even say it this way then uh, with the temple today being ordinances that are done by sisters not having the priesthood. And in the past, we have performed blessings that we always thought only pertain to those who hold, who hold offices in the priesthood. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that we've actually done both mm-hmm. at various times in our history without having priesthood ordination. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's valuable. I think most members think that one has to have Melchizedek priesthood. It has to look like this, you know. Uh, be shaped like this, and only within that realm can one do these wonderful things. And as you talk about kind of going down this different path of what priesthood could be for women, maybe the recognition that both ordinances and blessings could could easily be done by sisters in the church without specifically having what looks like a male priesthood. Mm-hmm. I think many women do give blessings. They and they do it with their families. But I think the more and more we become comfortable of women blessing um, with the power of faith, with the power of God, that the more spiritual gifts will be manifest and the more spiritual power will be given to both men and women. You guys have seen the images on Ordained Women's website of women giving blessings, right? You mm-hmm. guys have both seen that. Mm-hmm. What does that make you... Does it, is it, are you comfortable with those images? Does it make you feel... Um, uh, are you comfortable with those images? Do you like what's happening? I like the images. I I think that, that those images open up our eyes to possibilities. And they give you a view of what it might look like, what it could look like. And you just look at it for the first time and you just let it settle on you and say, here's a possibility. Here's an option. Here's an idea. Let's put that on the table and let's think about it. As one who is in the last, say, five or seven years gone through a major faith transition, I would say that if you would have come to me seven years ago, I would have been really uncomfortable with those pictures. And here's why. I wasn't aware that sisters performed blessings early in church history. I hadn't really put a whole lot of thought into sisters performing ordinances in the temple. I hadn't really seen or visualized in my mind sisters from the 1800s laying hands on someone's head or or performing some blessing as they're giving childbirth. It's only when I began to be aware of the history that surrounds this issue did I suddenly become very comfortable. And so as I look at those images that come across the Ordained Women website today, I look at those and I say, man, that's absolutely possible and feasible, and I'm completely comfortable if we go there. But it would take a major doctrinal shift for something like that to happen. I disagree, because we already set precedent. We've already in the temple said ordinances are possible by sisters who don't have male, male Melchizedek priesthood offices. We've already said sisters already have the authority to perform blessings for, for people in the church 
without having male priesthood offices. And so I think all we have to do is acknowledge that Heavenly Mother has some divine power, which I think every Mormon would say that's true, and then begin to say, okay, sisters are tapping into that. Well, I think I might side with Chris more on this one and and say that I think it does. It's going to take a doctrinal shift. It's going to take leaders communicating through revelation with God to really redirect us. That's I, well, what, I think there are things we can do. What doctrine would have to change? That's it. That's my question. What doctrine would have to change? The doctrine of ordination. I mean, right now, Is that Elder Oaks, Elder Oaks yeah. says only men are ordained to priesthood offices. But is that a doctrine? Right. For me, for it to be a doctrine, we have to have an example of somebody speaking in the name of God. Saying, you know, here's a revelation. This is canonized. This is so you're saying it's scripture. a practice. It's a practice that we have. Hmm. I I tend to think of it that way. If I look at scripture, I know we have scriptural references of female prophetesses, for example. Sure. Right. And so, on some level, God has acknowledged that He has allowed women in His in, in who are followers of Him to be mouthpieces for Him on some level, some level, whatever that level mm-hmm. is. I think when I look at the doctrine, what is the doctrine of the church? I see no line in the sand that says we need some major change in doctrine to allow this to occur. So, Bill, according to your position, next conference, we could have it announced just like the missionary age change. I do see it more complicated than that. I think we're going to have to spend some time talking about Heavenly Mother and what that looks like. I don't think you can just say, okay, sisters, tomorrow you guys go and start blessing people. I should back up. Let me say this. I actually think they could come out next conference and say, sisters, you can start blessing people because you've already done it before. It's already been done. There's no there's no doctrinal change. It's already been allowed and occurred within Mormonism. To go one step forward further and say ordination, yeah, I think we're going to need some time to figure out what that means within the female realm. Is it laying hands on a head and setting them apart to a certain office? I don't know. Is it simply laying hands on their head and saying, you know, you have the authority of God to do these certain acts, I think that could happen next conference. Not that it will. I mean, I don't know what will happen. I don't want to be sound like I'm, I'm imposing what will occur. I don't know, guys. I As I talk to women in the church, I don't see a general push for something like this. My The standard response I get when I'm talking to women about what they think about ordination is... I don't. I don't want the priesthood. I don't. I don't want to be ordained. I got enough going on. That's that's my husband. He does that. Or that's for guys. I got. I got my own thing going. I hear that a lot too. And many women feel that if women are ordained, that then men won't do work, and women will do all the work. <laughs> and I personally don't think that's true. I don't see my father, my brother-in-laws, the men that I know, not going to their children's baptisms because they're not doing the baptizing, not giving blessings, dropping out of the church. I don't see that happening. And even if some men maybe do less, because we're not taking priesthood away from men. We're simply expanding priesthood. Priesthood has been expanding since the Levites had priesthood. And now we're expanding it one step further. We're not taking anything away from anyone. However, even if some men do less because women are ordained, is that a reason not to allow women, 50% of the church, 50% of God's children, to not claim their spiritual birthright? And and I would add that while you want to say men... um, not necessarily being comfortable with it. I think the bigger issue is that women are not comfortable with this. But I don't think that matters, and here's why. When I look at Scripture, I look at Jonah, and I say, was Jonah comfortable 
with going to Nineveh and preaching. I say, was Moses comfortable with being a mouthpiece for God? And I don't think at the end of the day, God's revelations depend on how comfortable we are for them. That God himself can step forward and say, you know, sisters, whether you're comfortable or not, Here's this added responsibility we're throwing in, and uh, you know, and we're, we're all going to grow. This is the this is the church of shoulder to the wheel. Yeah, we're shoulder to the wheel people, and and I think we'll all grow, men and women alike, as everybody's working together, as everybody's um, reaching for their spiritual gifts, which they do now. I'm not saying that men and women don't reach for their spiritual gifts now, but. If we open this up, it's shoulder to the wheel. I'd have to, I'd have to push back on both you guys a little bit and say that the general membership of the church has to be comfortable with, with, uh, I mean, if we look at blacks in the priesthood, that revelation didn't come until the general membership of the church would be willing to accept it. Let me ask you, how comfortable were the Israelites when Moses took them across the desert? Yeah, that's a different example. I'm right. talking about, that's a long time ago, Bill. So those don't count then, right? So we just throw out scriptural stories. Uh, I do have to say, Chris makes a point. I, I think that, that we are going to, to go in this direction as fast as women of the church are interested in this. Most women in the church are not interested in being ordained to and the And I'm going to reemphasize that as well. I don't see a general feeling amongst the women of the church, but I'm a guy, of that being what they want. So maybe, I mean, so maybe ordination, women like myself are wrong. I will say that that's possible. But I say come to the table. Let's talk about it. Come to the table. If you don't want ordination, you don't think that's right, I'll come to the table. I think ordination would be amazing. Let's talk about it. Let's sit at the table, all the women, and let's have conversations about it. Let's seek the Lord's blessing and figure out what is it that we need because there are certainly women that are feeling uncomfortable. Again, we're the body of Christ. And we need to find a solution. We need to find a space where we can all be comfortable. Maybe it's ordination. Maybe it's not. But we need to come to the table and discuss it. I agree with that. I agree with that. So let's lead into the next question, which will kind of show the other side of the coin of some of what we've been talking about. It's why is ordination important? So let's go back and maybe talk about a little another side of the coin, which is maybe some people listening to this podcast are thinking, okay, so sisters can perform ordinances in the temple without priesthood offices, without ordination. Sisters early in church history can perform blessings without ordination. So maybe we can just give the sisters the ability to give blessings. Maybe we can give the sisters the ability to perform some ordinances and yet, why must you demand that we also add in that they have to be ordained? What is, why is ordination important in and of itself? What is, what is ordination going to give that if the brethren were to make allowances of ordinances, and I said it funny because it's obviously tied to this ordained word, and also blessings without ordination, is ordination still necessary? And if it is, what makes it important? Well, first I'll say I am not demanding anything that there's no demanding just talking about these ideas and i'll tell you i'll pull in a lot of ideas i've already mentioned in the podcast and say these are the the things that i think make ordination important one it's a saving ordinance there's only five saving ordinances that lds people recognize and ordination is one of them and i don't see why women would not need all the saving ordinances christ was baptized that's a saving ordinance um It also gives credibility to the priesthood power that women utilize. Women are already utilizing priesthood power, but ordination gives that credibility. It allows women 
to fully embrace their spiritual gifts, whether those spiritual gifts are logistical and um, with numbers or whether they're with healing. This all just opens up all those spiritual gifts and they can utilize them um, because there, there are no there are no roadblocks to what they can do as service in the church. Although there's many things they can do as service in the church. This just takes away all the roadblocks. And then I really think that priesthood is what, I mean, priesthood ordination is what will create ultimate parity in church governance. And I think it's important. I think, and I, and I absolutely value and validate what you just said, because without ordination, there's no level of presiding in the church at all. And so as you point out, sisters are never coming to the table being able to make, be the end all decision maker in anything. And mm-hmm. that ordination essentially puts that on the table and on that level makes both men and women in the church on equal standing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we talked a little bit earlier about Heavenly Mother and I want to hit on this. I know that this is kind of a tricky subject. One, we know very little within Mormonism about Heavenly Mother. On the other hand, we know she, she's there. And I think our interest as we dig into Mormonism, I think our interest is peaked on who is Heavenly Mother, what do we know about her, and why uh, why is she important to our theology, uh, to our beliefs, to to the way in which we interact with Mormonism. And so, Suzette, give us some thoughts maybe on, on greater inclusion of Heavenly Mother, how we can do that, and why that's important. All right. I think this, the idea of just bringing Heavenly Mother out of the shadows falls under this umbrella of how do we have this discussion? How do we talk ordination? And I think one major point, probably the most major, is Heavenly Mother. Who is she? How does she influence us? As a woman, one of the most important things for me to know is that I was created in the image of God. My woman's body was created in the image of God. And that means that we have a feminine God and masculine God. And we look like them. And we are their spiritual children. And that Heavenly Mother's influence then is all around us. And we don't talk about what that is. But what if we started saying, what is the spiritual influence of Heavenly Mother, of the feminine divine? What does that mean in our lives? Then we start equating that with women's spiritual power. What does it look like? How does it influence people? And as we begin to create a God that looks like that, I think we then begin to see and reevaluate the different nuances there are in the value of women and how they use their power and spiritual power. Now, I I know that when we talked about this earlier, you gave some pushback, and I'm hoping you'll do that again here, because as I've thought about Heavenly Mother, and, and I think about what we've been taught about God and the Godhead. We kind of, we, you know, in Mormonism, we have this idea that there's Heavenly Father, there's Jesus Christ, and there's the Holy Ghost, and yet there's also Heavenly Mother. But the Godhead is these three male personages. And yet I almost want to argue with, with Mormonism, if I can, you know, give it this, this personality and say, look, Mormonism, you're wrong here. We have to include Heavenly Mother as a member of the Godhead. If she is divine, if she has power, if her and Heavenly Father are united and working together on things, that that Heavenly Mother, we have to start saying, you know what? There's not a Godhead of three. There's a Godhead of four. And Heavenly Mother is part of that. And I think most Mormons, if they were to let go of their their emotional uncomfortability with that idea, I think most Mormons just on a theological basis would, would jump in and say, yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, you, so you want to make space for a fourth member of the Godhead? Is, is Heavenly Mother divine? 
Is she working together with Heavenly Father? Does she have access to working with her son, Jesus Christ? Does she have impact on sending out the influence of the Holy Ghost? I, I, to me, it would make sense in our theology. See, I won't go there with you, Bill. I won't go there with you. I I won't step over Mormon theology so far to say there are four members of the Godhead. I think we have to stay with there are three members of the Godhead. That's what we've been taught. However, I will say we need to start thinking of God the Father as God the Father and the Mother. That she is incorporated into the Godhead. I don't see it as four members. I still see it as three members, but that she is incorporated into how we see God. So rather than say Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost, it's Heavenly Parents as one united it's entity. It's God, yes. Jesus, right. and the Holy Ghost. God meaning our Heavenly Parents. Right. Hmm. What do you think, Chris? I can live with it. <laughs> <laughs> so as we, as we begin to kind of open our minds to kind of reframing how we look at this topic in in maybe being open to further light and knowledge, both as a faith community as well as leadership at all levels, and just again, just the average member, what can be done locally now to begin to kind of open up this dialogue and allow people to, one, talk about these things, and two, begin to see some of this kind of in action? Sure. I think a lot of it has to do with reframing uh, how we see the spirituality of women and reframing how we see governance in the church. And I'll go back to Nyland's book again, Women in the Church, and say that she really sets out some amazing ideas that we could do right now that don't have to require big changes, but she can do, we can do lots of things locally. I have promised my bishop that I will read Nyland's book and highlight the parts that he needs to look at so that he can do a quick one over. So that's a good idea for everybody. Let's highlight the parts that make sense in our local wards and and talk about it. You guys think it's okay to push from the bottom up like that rather than wait for the changes to come down? Uh, Chris, how did any of the programs in the church start? Hmm. Uh, you mean like primary and uh, basketball gyms in our church, things like that? Right. Yeah. They yeah. all seem to be bottom up ideas. Hmm. Um, we were talking earlier today about Emma Smith. Right, so Emma Emma goes to Joseph and asks for a revelation. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Doctrine of Covenants is full of people going to the Prophet Joseph and asking for insight on some issue they Look have. Look at Zelophehad's daughters in the Old Testament. They come before Moses and they said, "This isn't going to work out for us as women." You know, you go to the Lord. I think bottom up. Um, is fine, but what's more important is that you're looking at your local area. Everyone's different. Every ward is different, and saying what makes sense in this area in this ward to value women, to use their spiritual gifts. And there's a lot of things that right off the top you can do. Put women on the stand so that people can see them as leaders. It's not that a woman or even a man wants to sit on the stand, but the office they hold is um, is respected as are put on the stand. Tell stories of women in the scriptures. Go use daughters in my kingdom. Use uh, girls who choose God. Pull out these stories. Tell stories about girls and boys so that we see that they're both in play in the kingdom of God. Use your young women. Use them, at, you know, to, as ushers at the door when the sacraments being passed. Put them in prominent places. Let them plan music and so that they have responsibilities just like the young women do. They have an ownership of the ward. Utilize them. Well, you put, put women at the door of the sacrament. That, that's, uh, that's a responsibility for the teacher's quorum. Well, the teacher's quorum prepares 
the sacrament. The young women can stand at the doors. I've been a Mormon a long time. I mean, like a long time. And I've never seen a woman or a girl stand at the door while the sacrament's being passed. And That's yet, right. You've and never seen it, but the the restoration continues to unfold. And I would even say that some of these things actually exist in our history. I did an episode a while back from William Hartley, which is his idea of, of going into the, the historical analysis of how priesthood has changed. And he actually shared examples of when the, the young women actually passed the sacrament. He shared examples of when the young women actually made the bread and got the table ready for the sacrament. And so, again, if we're going to talk about exceptions to our standard policy of doing things, these things have been done before. And let's talk about ward council. Please. Love ward council. Love the idea of ward council, that there's this collaborative team that's coming together, that's praying over the ward, that has both men and women in it right now. The men outnumber the women in ward council probably three to one. But the women, but the membership in the pews, that's not representative of the membership in the pews. All I say, call women in. Give their calling us. Come to ward council. Let's get more women in ward council. We're counseling together. We need perspectives of women. We need perspectives of leaders. And especially if you have sister missionaries in your ward, you know. Um, but I think ward council is a great place. And I think the idea of a state council would be even Another great idea. I know that many states have state councils where reports are given from all the auxiliaries, from all the things. But what if there was a state council where they would counsel together about the stake? And it's not just giving of reports, but that's just another idea of ways that you can start to incorporate women into councils and that this whole ward, this whole stake, this whole local area is being represented and that many different things are looked at in different perspectives. And you talk about that. First off, you just throw this kind of uh, very refreshing idea out that I don't think most Mormon leaders even have considered because it just hasn't been brought to their attention before. But to ask members of the ward whose opinions are valued and just say, look, you don't have any specific calling in the ward council. But we just want to call you to come to the ward council and just to add your input and to give your insight into things we're talking about, which is awesome. I also think it begins to kind of touch on another topic, which I want to get your point of view on, which is all the callings that do exist in ward council. And as I've looked at ward council, I think there are certain callings that as a matter of either whether you want to call it doctrine or policy, the church currently labels as priesthood callings, elders, quorum president, bishop. Uh, high priest group leader. But it also seems like in the church that there might be at least room to at least put the idea out on the floor and discuss it, whether some callings that we have had as priesthood callings really are priesthood callings. Uh, whether a clerk. A clerk. A, a clerk in a work. A Sunday school president. Um, mission. Mission presidents. I mean, both men and women go on missions. They preach the gospel. So a uh, war mission leader, I guess, is another one that's traditionally been a male calling. Is there room there to at least have a discussion and say, is it possible that these callings might not be gender specific? Is there room for that? At the I think word, so. At the word level? At the word level or stake level or however high we want to go in terms of Sunday, just general Sunday school presidency. Is there a rule that that person has to be a man? Is there somewhere in the scriptures that Jesus has spoken and said, you know, thus saith the Lord, the Sunday school president will be a male? <laughs> I just don't know that it exists, and therefore if it doesn't exist, is the discussion at least viable? I think it's, I think it's viable. Absolutely. I think anytime we're getting together to discuss things, it's, it's, it's a good thing. So let's kind of wrap up. We've given people, I think, a lot to kind of chew on. Let's uh, wrap up maybe talking about this idea. We've, 
we've got sisters who currently in the church are uncomfortable with female ordination. It even seems based on some of the studies that women by and by far and by large are much more uncomfortable with women ordination in the LDS church than the, than their male counterparts are with it. And kind of recognizing that, recognizing that anytime we mention women ordination or, or female priesthood or some term that means along the same lines, that people become very uncomfortable. What can we do to begin to kind of collaborate with each other? Maybe on a, on a level with just sisters, on a level with brethren and sisters talking, so that at least these ideas can be discussed and we can begin to kind of ask questions. Because I think it's crucial in Mormonism we recognize that revelation comes after a question is asked. And often I think we're so uncomfortable with, with these, these new, this ground of these new issues being broken that we just step back and don't ever touch it. And I think where do, how do we get to the place where we start to ask questions about these things? I think it's all about collaboration and time. And when I say collaboration, I mean, there are all kinds of women in this church. We need to bring our mothers to the table. We need to bring our relief site presence to the table. We need to bring our inactive women to the table. We need to bring the feminists to the table. And I think it's about collaboration. We need to start talking about what does it mean to be a woman, to be a mother, to access divine power, and how do we, how does this play out in our church? And I think that collaboration takes a lot of time, and I'm okay with taking the time to do that. And then I think the collaboration extends to let's talk with men and women together. Let's have a space where we can come together and we can talk about priesthood. I know that I've talked to many men who have such deep, amazing experiences as they've used priesthood power. And let's, let's talk about that. What does that mean? How, how does that change? How does that stay the same? And how do, how do women, um, are included, can be included in that? And then finally, and this is the most difficult hurdle, I think, when it comes to collaboration, and that is your lay membership, like we are, Go to church every week. We're here. How do we talk to the leadership of the church? How do we approach them? How do we get around a table with leadership and say, these are our ideas and these are our concerns and then have a back and forth conversation with leadership who are in decision making roles and have a conversation and, and ask questions and ask them if they're asking questions and see what they have to say. So the, so you, you're begging the question then was, which is how do we do it? Do you have any suggestions or thoughts to say, hey, look, I'm not in charge of putting this all together, but if I were to just throw out a suggestion of how we could do it, one possibility among many maybe, what would be your idea of how we could get a seat at the table with, with leaders of the church, whether we're talking local or whether we're talking general leadership? And obviously big changes do need to happen at the top uh, if we're talking about something being adopted churchwide. How do we get get that conversation to occur? With local leadership, I, I think it's fairly straightforward. You make an appointment, you sit down, you say, hey, you know, these are things I've been thinking about. How do you feel that this would go in our ward? I think it's pretty, most local leaders and stake leaders, I think, are accessible. General leadership of the church, that's tough. You write letters. Um, that generally doesn't get you too far. Uh, you can try and get appointments with 70 it's just, it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. We can pray. Uh, PR, sometimes I think you can talk to the public affairs department, and sometimes those ideas can go, you know, in through the church. Well, but Suzette, overall, I think it's tough. Suzette, you're single. Maybe you could marry into one of the families. That might be the best way to, <laughs> to get in front of a general authority. <laughs> I guess, you know, we've talked about a lot. We've talked about what ordination looks like. We've talked about... 
uh, how we, you know, some of the things that go on in the church, both in its history and present. We've talked about possibilities of places we could go from here. Uh, any concluding thoughts from the two of you as we kind of, you know, leave off and, and allow the listener to kind of mull over these ideas? Any thoughts from you guys just kind of wrapping up what, what maybe female ordination means to you, looks like to you, uh, what you see is maybe one task that somebody could walk away with and say, okay, I'm going to focus on this idea as I, as I ponder and pray about things through the week. I love the discussion. I think it's important to have, to be able to talk about things, even if they're uncomfortable, even if they speak to uh, the past and how we are uh, kind of tied to the past and how we don't like to change. I think it's really important to discuss these things openly, honestly, and look at each other's viewpoints, even if it's something we're not, uh, even if it's something we don't agree with. Yeah, I, I'll echo what you say, Chris, and say I love the discussion, and I hope that this podcast will encourage everyone that's listening to it to discuss it more with their wards, with their families, and I would also encourage you to pray about it. Go to the temple, get on your knees, and think about how this impacts you. And as a sister of the Relief Society and a daughter of God and a woman in the kingdom, I would just encourage my other sisters to really, like... Um, just dig into Relief Society and let's find our, our space that can be truly ours and let's look at our spiritual gifts and let's love each other as sisters and really make the Relief Society, I think, what it's meant to be. And, uh, and maybe just kind of throwing in the, a last word, one of the things I think is most important whenever we're delving into any issue in the church that maybe seems uncomfortable at the surface is to just be more aware of the history of that issue and I think any of us, any of you who are listening to the podcast, maybe for the first time or really just uncomfortable with this female ordination even being talked about, if you just understand the history of, of what sisters have done and what they are doing uh, in terms of blessings and in ordinances and, and anointing others and, and all these things that have gone on that, that are part of our past and part of our present, I think it then begins to open up this dialogue that allows us to ask questions and examine and perhaps perhaps find out what's in our future. Thank you guys for being on today. Thanks. Thank Great you. discussion. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming Pleasure safely to